1: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, Matt. So, do you know why A, O, and U are mad all the time? Uh, no, no, I don't know, because they have irritable vowel syndrome, oh my God, <laughs> you're welcome, oh man, so how you doing, man? I'm good. <laughs> hey, it's warm in the graveyard, finally, it is, but yeah. you know what in about six hours, it's gonna get down to thirty four <laughs> degrees freezing cold yep
2: look uh, you know we've we've told y'all before we're uh we're essentially in Nashville and It doesn't snow in Nashville much at all, and it snowed this weekend Mm -hmm. after Easter, after the first day of spring, the city of Nashville saw snow. That didn't do anything, but I was out in it, and I'm like, it's really snowing.
1: Yeah, it's... it's, Spring has decided it's not going to come. It's ridiculous, man, because (laughs) uh, I plant a garden every year, and so you go by that whole wait till after Easter to plant. Right. Because you may have another freeze around yeah. Easter. All that. I'm gonna have to wait till frickin' June to be able to <laughs> plant a garden. And yeah. then I'll have to pull it up in July. So right. you know, I don't know what's going on, but there's something going on with the weather. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not liking it.
2: No. I'm r re- I'm ready I'm ready for spring summer.
1: Yep. So Sprummer. Sprummer. I'm ready. It,
2: you know, we don't really get a spring. We get spring for like three weeks, really, and then it's 90
1: degrees. It's like three days, dude. We get (laughs) spring for like three days, and then all of a sudden, it's like triple digits, and I'm sweating my butt off. Yeah. Just wait.
2: Just wait. Yeah. Because here in another few months, you're going to be listening to Adam and I talk about how stinking hot it
1: is. Yeah. (laughs) And how we can't run a fan in the graveyard because (laughs) the mics pick up the (laughs) of the fan. That's right. So you'll listen to us complain. So we apologize up front for the rest of the year of our complaints so that we yeah. don't have to do this it is, again.
2: This is what old Southern boys do. They talk about the weather.
1: Yep, we sit around <laughs> and complain about the weather and talk about other stupid stuff. So right. you get to listen to that. Speaking of listening, since you guys are listeners, we have finally set a date for our listener That's stories. That's right. So on April 22nd, which is a Sunday, by the end of the day on April 22nd, You need to have your listener stories in if you plan on them being on the episode because we're recording it that week and it'll go out that Friday. So we need to have them by April 22nd. Get them in. We've got a lot so far that are awesome. Yep. But if you're planning on sending us one, that's your deadline. April 22nd. One more time. April 22nd.
2: Yep. Get them in. in. Get them in. We want to hear them. Don't be nervous. Don't be afraid. We're not going to make fun of you. Uh, If you think your voice sounds funny, hey. So do we think yeah. our voices sound funny. So just send them on in.
1: Yeah, it's like I sound like a Southern Kermit the Frog over here. So.
2: Hey-ho, <laughs> um, welcome to the graveyard. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Uh, and that
2: wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. <laughs> Kermit the Frog here, coming to you live from downtown Sesame
1: Street. Oh, my Lord. So I could do that the whole episode if you want. But Please, no. No? Okay, fine. I'm good. Okay, fine. So y'all, go grab you some merch. If you want some Graveyard Tales merch... We go through Tee Public, but it'll be a lot easier if you just go over to GraveyardPodcast.com, which is our website. We've got links on there. It just shows the, sur- the shirt, so click on the shirt, but then you can scroll down to the bottom of that page and see all the rest of the stuff right. that we have. Yeah. So that'll be much easier for you to do than trying to search for us on Tee Public.
2: Yeah, stickers, coffee mugs, travel mugs, pillows, laptop cases, you name it. They've got it. If you want something uh, that's got the Graveyard Tales logo
1: on it. That's where you get it. Absolutely, go do that. And we're adding new stuff all the time to the website. We're like we talked before. We're going to add a book of the month thing that we're working on that page to get up where we recommend one book every month for you guys to go read and check out. Um, and we just added behind the scenes type pictures of the graveyard that we had a stalker in here a couple of weeks back who took <laughs> pictures before right. uh, before our episode. So if you want to see those, go over to the website and check those out. So another thing, if you would, if you've got the time, please go leave us a review on iTunes. It means a whole lot to us, and it helps us out tremendously.
2: That's right. And we want to thank uh, April, Madison Ramsey, Pelcher 314, Citrus Sunshine, Kimba 125, EVP Medium, and our buddies, Hillbilly Horror Stories, for going on iTunes and leaving us a five-star review. Thank you, guys. We really do appreciate it.
1: Yes, very, very much. And like we said, if you got the chance, please do it. It really helps us out. Now, a couple weeks ago, we read a story about the CDC man that had gone missing. They now have an update on him. So to recap, um, this was the CDC guy who left work because he was ill Um, Left work early, and then he went missing, and nobody could find him. When they went to his house, uh, they found his dog, Mr. Bojangles. I love that name. Uh, Mr. Bojangles and all of his personal belongings and everything neatly in the house, locked up. And car was in the garage. Keys were in the car. Just no sign of him. So they said a body was found in an Atlanta river. And it has been identified as Dr. Timothy Cunningham, the scientist with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and he went missing in February. They don't think that no foul play was involved. They think it was that Cunningham just drowned. But I don't know. How did he just drown in a river? Right. Well, to just go drown in a river and you leave all your stuff. If you're, they said it was the Chattahoochee River. Yes, the Chattahoochee River. If you're going to go down to the chat, way down yonder on a Chattahoochee. Yeah, I, uh, I, I avoided it. I was about to. but I, I wasn't going to avoid it. You know what they say. It gets hotter than a hoochie coochie down there. Right. So if it's going to. I heard that song
2: today.
1: Oh, that's I'm not a, kidding. That's you. a shame because I haven't heard it in years. But uh, if you're going down to the river and it's going to get hotter than a hoochie coochie. You want to bring stuff with you. You're not going to leave all of your personal belongings in your house. You're not going to leave your dog locked up there. I take right. my dogs down to the water if I go. So as you know, it just seems fishy to me. Yeah. All of that seems fishy to me.
2: And we don't know. I mean, this there could still be an investigation going on and they're keeping it quiet. We we certainly aren't making light of this gentleman's death, but it even now it it, it seems just as strange and mysterious as it did when he disappeared. So, um, you yeah. know, ho- hopefully, hopefully, you know, they can they can find out a little bit more of what went on, and and his family can get some closure. Is I mean that it, it's just a really 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 strange story.
1: Yeah, and to just say that he just drowned. You know, in in the news story, it says he just drowned. No foul play. I don't, I don't buy it, and I wouldn't buy that as a family member. Right?
2: Because he was, he was featured in a in an Atlanta magazine as you know Mm -hmm. one of the you know up and coming you know uh, uh, people in in the science realm, I I guess. You know, but but he was. I mean, he was not somebody that was just Joe Schmo. Right, you know, working at a place. I mean, he, you know, he was, you know, he was hot stuff. I mean, he, he, he was really working on some, you know, significant things. So yeah, he worked
1: with the Zika outbreak and the Ebola yeah, outbreak. I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's big time stuff. It really is. It just, you know, now it they, just seems odd. He was touted as the golden boy yeah. for that, uh, the the CDC. Yeah. So I don't know. It It's fishy, but, If you guys hear any updates that we don't hear, let us know because we are pretty interested in this. We're trying to follow it, but sometimes we get lost in other research and we don't get to it. So let us know if you see anything. Before we get into the the potty break today, I wanted to talk a little bit about Matt, you know, and and some of the rest of y'all probably know. I have been a Cryptid Crate Survivor... Survivor? Survivor. Yes, I've been a Cryptid Crate Survivor... Subscriber. <laughs> Nothing's jumped out and got you yet. <laughs> See, that's it. I've opened every box and I hadn't been killed yet, so that's great. There's been no Cryptid jump out just, at me. Just for the record, that's not a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but I've been a subscriber of that uh, for several months now, yeah. for about six months, and my house is pretty much decked out in Cryptid Crate stuff. I mean, my mic stand... Here is covered yeah. with Cryptid Crate stuff. Um, each month is like a different uh, theme. You know, the first one I got when I subscribed was the Yeti theme, which was great. I got a Yeti beanie and all that. But then they had one that was an aliens theme, UFOs theme. So I've got the alien head magnet on my mic stand. Another one was Bigfoot. So I've got a Bigfoot Christmas tree decoration hanging off the mic stand here.
2: Which for a while I thought was... Uh- a Sasquatch air freshener. Yeah.
1: He's like, why doesn't it smell <laughs> it look, better in here? It looks
2: here? like that.
1: Yeah. It's a it's a brown cutout of like the Bigfoot silhouette. Yeah. And so it kind of does. I mean, you know, the um, if it would be like the Christmas tree shape, you would think it was one of those Christmas trees. That's things. what you, you
2: need to get two of those little Christmas tree air fresheners and put on either side. And then you've got that picture.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be, be great. Him strutting through the forest. That'd be great. <laughs> Uh, this last month, I got a Jersey Devil T-shirt and Bigfoot playing cards, which is yeah. pretty awesome. If you guys like that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a cryptid fanatic, so I'm I'm subscribed for a year and will probably re-up and get another subscription um, just because, you know, I'm a cryptid nerd and this stuff is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um i I literally do uh when I see that it ships out, I'm like the schoolboy waiting on my front porch for the the mail to show up. but if y'all like that kind of stuff, go check out cryptid crate and it's it's free shipping, so you don't have to worry about that. Just buy you a subscription you can do a few months or you can do the full year like me. It's up to y'all, but that's kind of segueing into our potty break because we wanna actually hear a little bit about Cryptic Crate. So we're going to hear from Cryptic Crate, and we're going to hear from Hillbilly Horror Stories.
0: Tell us a story, Ranger Chet. Oh, okay. I could tell you about the time I locked eyes with Sasquatch, or about my brush with the elusive Chupacabra. Then there was that encounter with the Mothman. Yeah, tell us about the Mothman. Of course, I once saw a lake monster and a sea monster on the same day. Wow! That's not even taking all the ghosts, aliens, and UFOs into account! You've seen all that as a park ranger? ha! <laughs> no son! Those are the creatures I've encountered in my cryptid crate. What's a cryptid crate? Cryptid crate is a monthly subscription box that arrives on your doorstep each and every month. It's filled with various cryptozoology and paranormal themed items such as t-shirts, hats, art, media, and other collectibles. I want a Cryptid Crate. Yeah, I want one, too. You can get yours by visiting www.cryptidcrate.com. Sign up is quick and easy, and shipping is always free. I can't wait to get my Cryptid Crate, but for now, how about that story?
2: Hey guys, my name is Jerry and I'm the host of Hillbilly Horror Stories.
0: You are not doing this without me.
2: Well, that just happened.
0: I'm his co-host and wife, Tracy.
2: At least for the moment. And we are the hosts of Hillbilly Horror Stories, a mostly paranormal podcast. But we also cover anything creepy or unexplained.
0: But mostly paranormal.
2: Yep, I already covered that. What makes our show different from the other shows out there is that I'm going to tell you and Tracy a story.
0: But I've never heard the story, so you're going to get my genuine reaction. There's probably a good chance that I'll ask the same questions that you guys are thinking at home.
2: It's been said that we're scary enough for the true paranormal
1: fan out there, but also funny enough for the skeptics who just want to listen and have a good time. So hit that subscribe button anywhere you listen to podcasts and see why we have a five-star average rating on iTunes. All right, Matt. So here we go. What are we talking about tonight, brother? All right. This is considered to
2: be the most terrifying UFO encounter in U.S. history. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the Flatwoods monster.
1: So y'all saw that picture we shared. That (laughs) is the Flatwood monster. That's it. And you can see why it is touted as the most terrifying. Because if you ran into that, that's pretty terrifying. (laughs)
2: That's exactly right. (gasps) Yeah, <gasps> man, yeah, it does. It looks creepy as all get out.
1: Oh, I know. I can't imagine running into that at dusk. So, let's get into if y'all don't know about the Flatwoods Monster encounter, let's get into that. Um before we do, one of the sources that we got uh some of this information from was an interview with Ivan Sanderson. Now, Ivan Sanderson was an investigator of this He went down the day after, and he was down there right around the time of the incident. Now, we couldn't get permission to run that interview. I really wanted to because it was great, but we couldn't get permission, so we didn't. So what we're going to do, we'll just kind of interject some of the things that he talked about, because pretty much he tells this story, but he adds a little bit of stuff that has gotten lost. I guess, in translation over the years. Yeah. Um, But we'll interject some of that as we go, just so y'all know. Now, this happened on September 12th, 1952. At 7.15 p.m. on September 12th, there were two brothers, Edward May, or Eddie May, as they call him. He was 13, and Fred May, 12, and their friend Tommy Heyer, who was 10, were playing football in a field, when they witnessed a bright object cross the sky and it came to rest on land belonging to a local farmer, G. Bailey Fisher. Upon witnessing this object, the boys went to the home of the May brothers' mother. Say that 10 times fast. Mm-hmm. May brothers' mother, Kathleen May, where they told the story of having seen this UFO crash land in the hills. Now, this says UFO crash land in the hills. At the time, Ivan Sanderson said they thought it was a meteorite at the time. Right. Because they had been asked in school that if you see a meteorite land and you can grab it, you know, call the government, get a piece so that they can come out. So they, you know, they wanted to see this meteorite as it was landing. So they go get Kathleen May and they head out there. They then were accompanied by three more boys, local children. Neil Nunley, Ronnie Shaver, and a 17-year-old West Virginia National Guardsman, Eugene Lemon. Now, they traveled to the Fisher Farm in an effort to locate this whatever it was that had crash-landed. Now, Lemon's dog ran ahead of them and out of sight. All of a sudden, he comes running back barking. His tail is between his legs, and he just runs straight past them and disappears, runs home. Now, according to that Ivan Sanderson interview, the dog had apparently entered a mist that we'll talk about here in a little bit, and he became sick and was found to have vomited later and died on a front porch.
2: Right, and remember, these kids are going up there thinking they're going to find a meteorite. So, in their head, they're looking for some type of rot that's hit the ground you know, possibly large enough to cause a crater. You know, so they've got in their head what they're going up there to look for.
1: Right, they're looking for basically a big crash site, maybe fire, something.
2: Right, and and so now they're going up there, realizing that whatever the dog saw, he
1: he didn't want any part of. Yeah, he took he took off back to the house. Now the group reached the top of this hill, and they uh, reportedly saw a large pulsating ball of fire about 50 feet to their right. They also detected a pungent mist that I mentioned earlier, and it made their eyes and noses kind of burn. Mm -hmm. And they said it smelled of like a burning metal, real hot metal described as maybe like when the old tubes of a TV were to burn out that kind of smell.
2: With with this many boys? It, it, that smell could have been attributed to something else, too.
1: Yeah. I, you've released some things that have made my eyes and nose burn. <laughs> Had to clear the graveyard out for uh-huh. a while. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Touche. Uh-huh. uh <laughs> Lemon then noticed that there were two small lights over to the left of this object, this ball of fire, and it was underneath this oak tree. So he directs his flashlight over towards them, and in the beam of his flashlight, it reveals a creature. Apparently, it was 12 feet tall. And they said it had basically like an ace of spades type cowl behind a round head. And there were two beams, what could have been the eyes, two beams of light coming out from this. So that was the two points of light that he saw. Like I said, it's about 12 feet tall. And it came down kind of a cylindrical body. And Mrs. May describes it, as she said, the bottom part of it was pleated kind of like a curtain. Mm -hmm. So the drawings that we get of it and the drawing that we shared on social media, it kind of gives it this, like it's wearing a dress type look. But she said that's not really what it was. It was more like a pleated cylinder of metal but the only way she knew how to describe it was like curtains. Mm-hmm. And so the artist that drew that drew it like... Like curtains. Like curtains, so it kind of looks like a dress. Yeah. And they said it didn't really have arms, but it on the drawings it has arms because they said arm-type things that are coming out from basically the neck area of it. So that's kind of what they drew, but it was yeah. more like antenna, I guess.
2: Yeah, and, and Kathleen May said that... It, it didn't have arms, but it obviously had hands, and she describes claws, sharp claws, um, you know, directed towards the front.
1: Right. It was like coming directly out of the front.
2: Right. Right.
1: So, kind of take that picture that the pictures that we have on the website and kind of alter those because that's the artist rendition of it, and kind of alter those a little bit. Now they said. It reportedly emitted a shrill hissing noise and started gliding toward them,
2: yeah, she described it as the sound of bacon frying, yes. yep. bacon sizzling as is if what it if you like.
1: had bacon sizzling and then it comes toward you, so as it comes gliding toward them, it all of a sudden changes direction and heads back off toward that red ball of fire. Now, at this point, the group fled in panic, they turned tail. Hit the road and got out of there. So would I. I would have too. (laughs) So in Ivan Sanderson's interview, he talks about he was interviewing the boys and talking about this um, this incident. And it was Tommy Heyer, I think, who he he asked, um, you know, when they fled, when they got to the gate, did they open the gate? And he said, well, I don't rightly know, mister, but you know, I, I ducked under the the bush to the side because I was small enough, but I know miss May, she took it in one, so (laughs) she just cleared that fence in one jump. And it it was like, you know, six foot fence or something. Yeah. So
2: when I I heard that, for whatever reason, I, I just, I picture her as being like an older lady. Mm-hmm. Like some grandma, like leaping a fence and one. By- <laughs> She's she wasn't. No, you
1: know. no. I think <laughs> but she, in she was head. in her thirties or forties at the yeah. time. But hell, uh, I'm in my forties and I'm not leaping any fences. No, me either, man. I'm in my thirties and I'm still tripping over the fence. I'm taking the time to open it and get That's out right. of here. So, I'm scared,
2: but I'm gonna. I'm not jumping this fence.
1: Right. You, you can just wait and let me open this fence. I'll leave it open for you. But dang. They didn't take the time to open the fence. They just kind of jumped it or scooted through the bars because it's like a cattle fence. Yeah, so yeah, it okay, yeah. it had the spaces in the bars. So I just kind of thought that was funny. Now, when they got home, Mrs. May contacted the local sheriff, Robert Carr, and Mr. Lee Stewart, co-owner of the Braxton Democrat, which was a local newspaper. Stewart conducted a number of interviews. And he returned to the site with Lemon later that night, where he reported that there was still a sickening burnt metallic odor in the air. And Sheriff Carr and his deputy, Burnell Long, searched the area separately, but reported finding no trace of an encounter other than the smell. So that tells you right there in this incident that there was no crash site. Mm -hmm. There was no, you know, big broken trees. There was no big hole in the ground nothing like that that you would expect from what they originally thought was a meteor right. landing so and this also tells you that that ball of fire didn't crash and hit hard
2: right and it's interesting to note on on several different occasions after the fact you know post interviews of, of the event immediately after and years later they describe the size of this object to be about the size of a house or around the size of a two car garage. Right. So, I mean, this is much larger than your typical meteor.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't be because by that time the meteorite would have broken up, you know, right. into smaller pieces. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, when you hear stories about meteorites that come through somebody's house, you know, it, it's. It's maybe a little bit larger than a softball. Yeah, you know, may, maybe about softball the, to
1: football size.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not talking about a, an asteroid, right? You know, here, right. I mean, they're they're looking for something small, but it traveling, you know, at that speed and distance, you know, it, it's gonna leave an impact. Oh yeah, you know, so we're not talking about, you know, a a, a swimming pool size crater here, but we're talking about something that would have been obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, when you arrived at where you thought this thing hit, you would have seen, you know, an impact mark. I mean, oh, sure. it, it wouldn't have been, where was it? Where was it? If it was a meteorite, you would have, you would have found that spot if you were right. searching in the
1: right area. Right, because I didn't look this up, and I, I have real bad trouble with remembering these equations, but it's something like density times velocity would equal the displacement of the earth when it hits. And mm-hmm. I know there's there's people out there listening to us that are way smarter yeah. that can quote that correctly to me. But like I said, I didn't look it up, so I should have. Yeah, it sounds like something Chris Cogswell would know. Yeah, so Chris, if, if you hear this, message me personally. Don't like call me out in front of everybody and tell me how <laughs> stupid I am. Um, make just, him make him go up to the chalkboard and work it. Yeah, let's not do that. I I know you're super smart, but I'm I'm super dumb too. So don't make me do that. <laughs> anyway, early the next morning, Stuart visited the the site of the encounter for a second time, and he discover discovered at this point some elongated tracks in the mud. So it looked like something kind of went scooting through the mud a little bit, not deep, but kind of showed some tracks in the mud. Now, there was also traces of a thick black liquid around that same area at the end of these elongated tracks. Mm -hmm. He immediately reported them as being possible signs of a saucer landing. It was later revealed, supposedly, that the tracks were likely to have been those of a 1942 Chevrolet pickup driven by a local who had gone up to the site to look for the creature. Mm -hmm. However... There's contradicting reports because of something I'll tell you later um, that this local could not have gotten in. Now, after the event, Mr. William and Donna Smith, investigators associated with the civilian saucer investigation, obtained a number of accounts from witnesses who claimed to have experienced a a similar or related phenomenon. These accounts included a story of a mother and her 21-year-old daughter who claimed to have encountered a creature with the same appearance and odor a week prior to the September 12th incident. The encounter reportedly affected the daughter so badly that she was confined to Clarksburg Hospital for three weeks. They also gathered a statement from the mother of Eugene Lemon, in which she stated that at the approximate time of the crash, her house had been violently shaken and her radio had cut out for 45 minutes. And a report from the director of the local board of education in which he claimed to have seen a flying saucer taking off at 630 a.m. on September 13th, the morning after the creature was sighted.
2: So y'all got all that? Because there's going to be a quiz at the end of the show.
1: Yeah, there. I, I'm going to have to refer to <laughs> notes if there is.
2: Yeah. So, you know, so that that's that's where the story comes from, you know, from, you know, eyewitness accounts of Kathleen May and And the boys that alerted her to this situation going to investigate a possible uh meteor and finding something totally different
1: completely different
2: so um yeah you know it, it it sounds like we just threw a whole lot of information at you and we did um but we're gonna piece through this so that you can fully understand
1: how just impactful this was for this little community right so real quick let's talk about that mist that we said was up there now we said the dog got into the mist and ran away now the older boy um eugene lemon uh, at the time of when he spun his flashlight around and saw the creature apparently he was startled and i would be too So he was startled so much that he dropped his flashlight. When he bent down to pick up his flashlight, he got his head in this mist. So he took in a lot of the mist. Now, it apparently at that time made his eyes burn and his nose burn and run and all that. Now, all of them, though, were affected by this mist um, because the next day they were all said to have nausea and vomiting their noses were still running their eyes were running and red but lemon suffered the worst he was had vomiting and convulsions all throughout the night he had difficulties with his throat swelling and uh, not being able to swallow for several weeks afterward and a doctor who treated several of these witnesses he's reported to have described their symptoms as being similar to what victims of mustard gas would go through. That's pretty interesting. This is, you know, that kind of states that this could either be a, if you're going along, we'll just say all of this for right now is a creature landed. So uh, don't argue yet with us. Because we're going to get into what if it was not a, a UFO creature. But for right now, we're talking what if it was a UFO and a creature. So this could be a defensive strategy for this creature that, you know, he crash landed here. So he's got to do something. So he puts out a basically a mustard gas type screen Mm -hmm. to protect him from anybody that may stumble upon him. Or it's a expulsion from the vehicle that the vehicle did crash and it's leaking this gas.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And. You know, the, the evidence that there was something up there, the, the two, the two parallel tracks were, were actually found by Lee Stewart the next morning. And he describes a a gummy or oily residue, uh, along with the tracks and the tracks, they travel down the hillside a little ways, um, Towards a a flattened circle circular area, now not a you know a crater or a divot or anything, just a flattened area. So if you you've ever seen where, you know, something's been sitting for a period of time and the grass is mashed if down. If you put
1: like a kid's pool out in the backyard, yeah, fill it up with water, that's, that's, and then when man, you that's remove great, it,
2: yeah, that's a great analogy. About thirty feet in diameter. I mean, that's that's big, but yet. You know, a, a meteor we've already talked about wouldn't have been that size. You know, a, a thirty-foot meteor is going to leave a a hole. Um, it's not a hole. It it's would wipe just, out a
1: continent. Yeah, that, I mean, at that it, speed.
2: Yeah, and and it uh, it's just where the 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 grass and stuff has has been flattened out. Yeah, it's so, been
1: laid down from so weight. we got
2: two two tracks parallel, gummy residue, and, and a and about a thirty-foot diameter flattened area. Mhm. Okay. So now if if you if you're thinking oh well that's a landing site. That's what uh that's what a lot of these people were thinking
1: right. too. Right. Now you also may ask okay what happened to that craft because when they went back up there they didn't see it. Now Ivan Sanderson said it took him a bunch of interviews in order to find out this information. But there was an older gentleman who lived on basically the next rise of the next hill over that could see that area. So he saw red kind of glowing in the distance. Well, he initially thought that it was like a house fire. Mm, Yeah. So he got his binoculars out, which they said were pre-World War binoculars. And he was able to see this craft. Now, he saw the giant red glowing ball. Mm -hmm. He did not report a creature going to or from, but he either the creature had already made it to the craft at the time, or he just couldn't see it in his glasses. He watched this glowing ball for about 30 minutes. And over the course of 30 minutes, it would blink, but it would get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer Until it finally blinked out in just one pinpoint of light and was gone. So by the time they said it took about an hour for the witnesses to get back up there to have called the sheriff and get everybody down there and get back up there. So the craft had already blinked out about 30 minutes before they got back up there. We'll move on from that real quick and get another little incident of a sighting of this. The the next day... A couple was taking a leisurely drive through the mountains of Frametown, West Virginia, and at dusk was met with a pretty horrific experience. Their car came to a sudden stop and refused to start again. Shortly after, a putrid sulfuric odor filled the air. The couple got out of the car and they were circling the vehicle in hopes of kind of spotting what was wrong with it. They saw something a lot worse than that. From the waist down, it was similar to the Flatwoods monster, but from the waist up was a reptilian humanoid. So this creature was thought to be the same that was sighted in Flatwoods, and they have renamed it kind of the Frametown monster. But they So you'll see Flatwoods monster, Frametown monster, or Braxton County monster associated with this event. Or even the Green monster. The Green monster as which, well, yeah. Which is on the sign
2: at Flatwoods, right. home of the Green monster.
1: So... Basically, this report kind of says, okay, if it was the same from the waist down, had that kind of rippled, curtainy, pleated metal type look, but was a reptilian type humanoid from the waist up, could what they have seen the night before have been a suit that he was wearing? Right. So you didn't see the actual monster at the Flatwoods event. You saw a protective suit that he was wearing, mm-hmm. and that's why it was... Kind of boxy and weird looking, like it was.
2: Yeah, and and there were there were two two ideas about what this creature either was or had around him, um, based on the descriptions. One of the descriptions m- makes it sound as if it's like a a cylindrical, um, you know, encasement essentially, mm-hmm. almost like it was like a, a mini craft, right? Or something like that. so. Essentially, it was Oscar the Grouch, you know, coming out of a trash can. That, that's that's the mental image I get of this thing, you know, um, right. But the, but the other idea and this was uh, this was in the Sanderson interview that it the description made it sound very similar to a dive suit from that, right, right. from that era. Um, so I think everybody is knows what I'm talking about. You know, you know, I'm not talking about a a scuba diver, you know, I'm talking about that, that old school, the big metal helmet, the bell Mm -hmm. that they would wear with the glass circular front. Right. You know, completely, you know, you're completely encased in a suit. Now, the one that, that Sanderson described is more or less um, a human submersible and less of a suit. If you can imagine walking into this bell-shaped object that's got a window for your face and robotic-type arms that you could control, but your arms weren't actually sticking out and your legs were inside this thing, not in a pair of pants style. You're standing inside this thing. Not a lot of room to move around. It's just coming around you. And they would lower this bell into the water and they would use gas buoys to to keep it from just dropping to the bottom. And that's the description there. and And you can you can find images of that, of what that particular thing would have looked like. So this is what they're trying to come up with as far as the descriptions, because, again, Kathleen May and the boys were the only people that saw this. Thing. Right. So their descriptions differ a little bit. And and you've got to remember, we're talking about, you know, an adult woman and, you know, young adult men and little boys. Mm-hmm. So they're all going to have a different description. And they've they've tried to take those and just mash them together to come up with the the best illustration of what this creature would have looked like. Um, and they, the people that would look to discredit this story really take those descriptions and just try to shred them apart because they're inconsistent. But, you know, if you go out, if you go out with your friends, say let's, you go out with five of your friends and something happens, you know, you, let's say you witness a car accident. You all see it, but you're all looking at it from different vantage points, and you all have your own biases as to what happened. And then an hour later, you're given a a police report as to what happened. I I guarantee you there are going to be details that are different in every single story based on what you saw, where you were standing, what you were feeling, what you were thinking. Mm -hmm. You're going to pick up on certain details that other people don't, you're going to miss details that they caught. You're going to have seen something that looked one way to you and looked different to somebody else. It's like the old story about the three blind men touching the elephant. You know, they didn't know what it was. This thing is big like a tree. This thing is long and and heavy and snake-like. And and this thing is thin like a stick. They're all touching the elephant in a different place. Right. So they all have a different idea of what it is. It, it's the same theory. You know, this many people seeing something, they're all going to have a different story. doesn't mean that they're all wrong. It just means that they're
1: different. Right. You know? And on that differing thing, they the one thing that they all did get exactly the same to each other was the head and the cowl area. Right. Because they had all the children draw pictures yeah. of you know, independently draw what you saw. And every one of them drew from the neck up. They didn't draw from the neck down. So from the neck down is kind of differing, you Mm -hmm, know, on mm -hmm. what they saw, like Matt was saying, depending on where they were standing and all that. But from the neck up, every one of them drew a perfectly round head with two perfectly round eyes and an ace of spades type cowl behind the head. Yeah. And this is the first time and only time that I know of, that anything has ever been described with having a cowl behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, in all of the other UFO cases that I know of, and and obviously I'm not, UFOs are not my forte, aliens are not my forte, you know. Um, So any of our, you know, ufologists out there that know it, maybe I'm wrong, but this is the only one that I know of that has the cowl behind the head. And so... Which leads a little more credence to the fact that it's some type of suit that Mm -hmm. this creature was in. Right. Or some type of device that this creature was maybe even remotely operating. Yeah. Still uh, in the craft, and it's like an ROV type thing that Mm -hmm. this creature was remotely operating. Now, there's a man by the name of Frank Ficino. And Frank Ficino has done a lot of research over the years on this Flatwoods sighting. And he's uncovered data, you know, leading up to the Flatwoods sighting. And what he said is that Flatwoods case is actually the end of a UFO flap. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the, you know, the whole flap, since it doesn't all pertain to Flatwoods, but... Up until that point in 1952, there were 1,501 UFO sightings just in 1952, and these were just the ones that were reported.
2: Right. And they said that was the the busiest, the, the busiest time for Project Blue Book, mm-hmm. which at that point had been around
1: for about 17 years. Right. And so think about that. That's the busiest in 17 years. And then we have a big event like the Flatwoods Monster. Now, earlier in the day of the Flatwoods incident, so that's September 12th, there were actually other reported sightings of craft in the air. And it varies from three to six, depending yeah. on who you talk to. Um, I'm going to discuss three of the big ones. Uh, one of these, and they, they all kind of started out in Washington. I'm sorry. They, they, all three of these were reported in Washington, And heading out of Washington, D.C. Yes. Three different craft heading in a similar but slightly different direction. One of these proceeded south toward Tennessee and it entered the no-fly airspace at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory and then landed. So if you all don't know what the Oak Ridge National Laboratory is, it's a nuclear facility here in Tennessee. Yeah. Oak Ridge facility is a whole nother episode of Graveyard Tales that we'll go into. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so go look it up, and we'll just make sure to write that down. We'll cover the Oak Ridge National Laboratory another time.
2: I remember when I was a kid, Um, I think the movie was called uh, The Day After or something.
1: Yeah. I actually own that movie. It's in there.
2: About the nuclear holocaust deal. I remember seeing that as a kid and going, could this really happen? And the answer that I got from my parents was like, well, because of Oak Ridge, if there was ever a nuclear war, I'd be the one of the first places they'd attack. Right. And so we'd just probably be vaporized. Yeah. And it's like, you're not making me feel any better.
1: Yeah. This doesn't <laughs> help, mom. <laughs> Thanks. But it's true. Because of Oak Ridge, Tennessee will probably be blown off the map if that happens. Anyway, the second object headed toward the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in, o- in Ohio. Yet again, another Graveyard Tales episode. Not yeah. getting into all no, of it today. Not tonight. But a lot of y'all know the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. If you don't go look it up, another weird thing that we'll cover. Now, this object turned shortly before it reached the base. So they don't have any indication of seeing it after it turned and went around Wright-Patterson. The third object, this is the big one. This is the one that it flew over the White House around 7 p.m., then headed southwest towards West Virginia. When it entered Braxton County, the UFO then changed course and proceeded south. It flew over Burnsville and headed towards Flatwoods. And this is the one that was spotted Prior to its landing, flying through Flatwoods and flying through Braxton County, going at a decent clip, but, you know, it wasn't speeding through. It was, it was sailing through as if it was looking for something.
2: And, and one thing interesting, you know, we're, we're describing this as a craft and the authorities are saying it's, it's a meteor, a single meteor. Now, it's interesting to note that through Faschino's research and interviewing all of these individuals, you know, well after the fact that were involved in this. It, the, the, it, it didn't crash land like you would expect, like it's certainly not like a meteor. This thing came, settled down at the top of the hill where the boys are watching from across the street at the playground. And then rose up again, and moved down into the little, you know, it's not really a valley, but the holler, da- yeah, down down the holler, yeah, but yeah, down down the hillside. So if you think back to when we were talking about the tracks that were found up there, you got two parallel tracks that traveled down the hillside, and a large th- thirty-foot diameter depression, you know, a, a flattened area in the in the ground so that that seems more consistent with the idea that this was a craft because a meteor is going to go down in a straight path hit and stop yeah
1: (laughs) so speaking of eyewitnesses later on frank interviewed jack davis uh many years later and he talked to him and his stories remain the same He said it was the size, about the size of a two car garage and it was barely clearing the treetops as it came over and it wasn't heading in a direct downward path. It was kind of, you know, it was skimming along the treetops. He said, despite what authorities say, it did not resemble a meteor. It looked like a craft to him that was being maneuvered. Now, Lee Stewart, you remember Lee Stewart in an interview, he said that the skid marks that are talked about in the account as being seen the next morning, they were actually seen the night of the incident by several of the people who went back up. Um, The official story that is given that you'll find in, you know, you can go to Wikipedia and find it. And Mm -hmm. the official story says those tracks were not found till the next morning. Yeah. So that it could have been a truck going up. Right. About, uh, yeah, approximately 7 a.m. the next morning.
2: You know, the, the story is that Lee Stewart, noted those tracks and found the residue.
1: Right. And Lee Stewart is clearing all that up later and saying, no, 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 that was all found the night of. Right. It was not the, the next day. He said the facts have been a little misquoted and twisted to make the sighting less believable by the authorities. Shortly after Lee's look at the landing site, it was investigated by West Virginia's National Guard. Now, here's where we get into when I said there was no way a truck could get up there. Uh, Colonel Dale Levitt was called by the Air Force in D.C., and he was ordered to search two different areas in West Virginia. So this isn't just one. This is two. One of those areas was near the Elk River, and supposedly he was searching for survivors of a plane crash, in quotes. This is what the Air Force told him to do. No plane was ever found. No bodies were ever found. But if they're saying a plane crash, we've all heard that before in association with UFOs, that the Air Force says, no, 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 it was a plane crash, you know, whatever. And they send people out to investigate. No plane was ever found. After this, he and 30 men from that group moved over to the Flatwoods area to investigate this sighting. Now, he was tasked with roping off the area around the site and to collect evidence. He gathered soil samples and leaves and branches, and he sent all of these to the Air Force in D.C. They stayed at the site for the rest of the night in case anything else happened. So there's no way a truck could get in there and tamper with the scene to create these marks or the oil Mm -hmm. at the scene. Now, the Air Force claims it was an astronomical event. However, Colonel Levitt stated in this interview with Ficino that at the, quote, landing site, there were the marks of something landing and the smell of something burning, but it looked like a soft landing. Like Matt was saying a minute ago, it was a soft landing, like something had laid on the grass rather than crashing into the ground. You know, it's the. Put a kid's pool out in the backyard and fill it up with some water. So it creates weight. It mushes the grass down. When you remove it, you can see the outline of it, but the the dirt hasn't been blown apart. You know, It's just an a ring in the ground, an impression. He said there was no large hole in the ground, no broken trees that would have been proof of a meteorite. He says it was for sure a UFO, but people look at you funny when you say this. So the military states, it was a meteorite.
2: Right. And, you know, we're talking about Frank Ficino and the work he did. Now, his work started in the early 90s, and he researched this for 10 plus years. And actually, it goes on beyond that. The 10 plus years that he did was the research for his book, um, which is called uh, the Mont uh the
1: Braxton County Monster
2: Braxton County Monster the the Flatwoods Monster revealed um you know he worked on this book for for 10 plus years and in that he he audio recorded these interviews he videotaped some of them he he you know he has transcripts from these interviews i mean he took this seriously you know he did this because he was already in the area investigating uh crop circles Mm -hmm. and and was working with another investigator talking about these crop circles when he came across this story um so i mean you know we're we're talking about almost 40 years after this happened right you know he comes across this story and then he just he takes a hold of it and and he he starts really 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 digging into it and that's that's where the stories of these multiple crafts and and where they where they were and where they traveled all of this information comes because of of Frank Ficino's research you know so you know he he's a true credit to what we know today you know happened not just from the eyewitness testimony right um you know he he really he really dove into this to find out everything he could about the situation and he pieced all the the small pieces together Yeah, i mean he, he took all the information not just from the small town of flatwoods but he he really just went above and beyond to to get any and everything he could and see does does this fit this was going on at that time this was also reported that night does it coincide does it fit you know, is is this one of the missing pieces to put this, you know, entire puzzle together? His work continued and he did a, a presentation for MUFON mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Um I I wish I it was two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah, it was early two thousand. Yeah. So you know he he presented all of this data a lot of these videos, you can actually go online and and watch this particular presentation. I know that Adam and I both did and and it's fascinating oh yeah um and and you can see his artwork. Fashino is a trained illustrator, and so I- instead of having an artist do renderings, you know he did a lot of this artwork himself mm-hmm. based on the information that that he was gathering you know during his
1: investigation right so. And so if any of this, like if our talk on it has spurred you to want to learn more, go get his book. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Braxton County Monster by Frank Faschino, and you'll take a super deep dive and you'll go down every rabbit hole that he went down. I I recommend doing that if you're interested yeah. in this.
2: But one thing I want you to consider is. How long the authorities investigated this? as opposed to how long Frank Faschino investigated this. I mean, you know, we're talking about something that, you know, the authorities wrapped up in a matter of a couple of weeks, yeah. you know, to determine that
1: eh, it's a meteor couple of weeks is being generous too. Yeah.
2: And, and I'm going to kind of delve into what, you know, some of the theories is to, to, they use to discredit that this was an actual UFO landing.
1: Um, Leave it to Matt to ruin the party. That's right. Logic.
2: But I'm not going to ruin it. I'm just going to tell you what they're saying. That's it. I, I'm not saying this is the truth. I'm just saying this is what they're saying. And you can make your own decision. Exactly. Um. But But yeah, I mean, you know, all these years, you know, like I said, 10 plus years of researching this one topic, talking to everybody he possibly can. And this is what he came up with. You know, so it's it's really hard to look at, you know, a couple of weeks of investigation. Now, And understandably, he's doing this 40 years after the fact. But a lot of these people were young when this happened. They were still alive. He could he could he could get them on the telephone. He could go to their house and he researched this area. He was there. Mm -hmm. Um, Spent a lot of time in Flatwood. He sure did. And, And that to me. Anybody that's going to take that much time and do that much investigation, I'm, I'm going to listen to, you oh, know, yeah. I am, you know, it, it just seems, it, it just seems remiss for, you know, the authorities to just go, yeah, that's what it was. Not, you know, understandable. It's, it's 1952. I mean, there there was, communication was different then mm-hmm. and, you know, w- we've we've all we've all heard the war of the world story you know we we understand what what panic can be caused by a story and understandably the you know the government you know the police um you know local authorities they didn't want a panic you know even in a small town you know a, a panic like this could be you know really really bad news for sure you know so I get the idea of we want to make this as minimal as we can. You know, we, we don't want to, you know, incite panic in these folks. You know, so we want to give them answers that, you know, will uh, alleviate their fears. You know, that something's going to come back. You know, there's, there's a creature loose in this town. So we, we've got to give them something and we've got to do it quickly. I get that. You know, I'm not faulting them. I'm just saying once you've done that, putting forth a little bit more to truly figure out what happened, you know, I think was warranted. But again, we're talking about the government and the the military in nineteen fifty two, they didn't tell nobody anything they didn't want them to know. Nope. And, you know, it it, it wasn't no big thing for the military to say, eh, we did this and that's all you're going to get. Yep. You know, I mean, you know, this happened post Roswell.
1: You
2: know, so people already had an idea that the government was hiding something about aliens as it mm-hmm. is, you know, and so here we are again. Right. You know, and, you know, with the fact that the National Guard went out there, the Air Force was involved, um, you know. Fraschino's idea that this could have been a conspiracy cover up doesn't sound all that strange. Now, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You know, I, there are things that I think we we don't we don't get the full story on, but I I don't buy into every single conspiracy theory. I, I, I have a tinfoil hat, but I don't wear it very often. So.
1: Mm-hmm. It's hanging on the wall yeah. here by our table.
2: You know, so we can kind of we can kind of get into what what the government, what the authorities used to explain away um some of the events that happened and and how they alleviated the fears of of the people of Flatwoods. And we're also going to get into some theories that are, are much more modern um, where people have gone back after the fact to say, well, maybe it was this or maybe it was that. So let's let's dig into some of this. So Let's start with the UFO. So we, we, we've talked about that quite a bit. We've talked about the craft, or could it have been a meteor? Could it have been a craft? Could it have been something else? Um, so the eyewitnesses, you know, uh, Miss May and the boys described a bright ball of, fly, of fire with a globe or pear shape. And again, like I said, about the size of a house or a two-car garage moving through the sky with a pulsating light and apparently landing on a hillside across the road from where they were playing. And simply enough, like we've said, this was dismissed as being a meteor. And that seems logical. Seems like it would have been. And, and But other individuals around a 20-mile radius report seeing something very similar and often add that they saw many lights all moving in the same direction, which would coincide with a meteor shower. The boy's distance from the object combined with the lack of any true frame of reference for size make it easy for debunkers to claim that the landing was merely an illusion created by the meteor disappearing behind the hillside appearing to crash or land. Okay. As for the pulsating lights, there were at least three plane beacons positioned in that area that would have been visible from the playground. So we're talking about towers with flashing lights so that planes know, hey, the ground's changing. You know, if it's dark, you can kind of get a frame of reference as to how close you are um, by seeing these flashing lights. But what about the evidence of the landing? What about the tracks? What about the depression in the ground? Lee Stewart claimed that on the morning of September 3rd, at 7 a.m., while investigating the area, he noted two parallel skid marks in the grass with an oily or gummy residue. We've talked about that. And then he retracted and said, no, 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 no. The people that were up there the night before saw the tracks. So the tracks were there, you know, with, within the hour of this happening. they were They were noted. However, one Max Lockard claims that on the night of September 2nd, after reports of a UFO landed spread through the town, he drove up the hillside in his 1942 Chevy pickup and did not find any such skid marks or residue. And what Stewart found was nothing more than the marks from his tires and oil from his truck. Now, UFO investigator Gray Barker did state that the area Max reportedly searched was not the exact location that the Miss May and the boys claim to have gone to. So we we've got we've got this Max Lockard saying, No, I went up there that night. You know, later that night, everything calmed down. Now what we know is that Lee Stewart said the tracks were there before. There were people stationed up there in case something else happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it, this was a farm. This wasn't just an open field, it was private property, so it was gated right but we already Finges know they had to go through go through a gate you know to get onto this property, and that it was probably unlikely that if they went to the if max went to the location that the boys and miss May had gone to, he wouldn't have been able to get his truck up there right, and that he probably or possibly went to a different location thinking that he was in the same area, didn't see anything and left Mm -hmm. because he could get his truck up there. Right. Okay. As for the, the mist and the nauseating smell, (laughs) I love this. The smell was, it it was explained by the grass, (laughs) the grass smelled. Now, They say that this particular type of grass that's, you know, very common in that area has a really pungent odor and that you can find it in other areas around Braxton County and in West Virginia, and it smells the same, but not as strong. Right. Okay. So we all know what fresh cut grass was, you know, smells like, um, I don't think that was it. No. You know,
1: they, they, they were talking about something really strong that was burning their nose. Right. And if you live there, don't you think you would know yeah. the difference between the grass that you smell every dang day? Yeah. And something else? Yeah. You know, because I know just from my area, I know when somebody in my area is cutting the grass, you can smell it from yeah. down the road, but you know the smell of grass. Right. And even if it is a different type of grass, you've lived there for how many years? Right, and you can't tell the difference. You're all of a sudden one night, you're shocked by this smell. Right, and and realize this is a small town, um, a lot of farmland.
2: Right, and and or people that have grown up, you know, working on the land, working on a farm, something like that, they should know. Mm-hmm. They should be familiar with it. They're not gonna approach something and go, "We smelled this really strong, pungent odor." They would have, they would have said something like, "The grass smell was really strong, right. stronger than usual." Right. That's not what they said. Nope. They said this smell was really strong, that it 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 burned their nose yep. and it burned Sulphuric their eyes and metallic. Yeah. Yeah. So doesn't sound like grass to me. And the mist, of course, was is, is explained by fog, you know, and you've everybody seen fog rolling down the hillside. And the illnesses that that the boys experienced was chalked up to their intense fear. And, and uh, you know, you get scared enough, you, you can you can feel physically ill,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know. Sure. And, and, you know, so I that's really the only part of this that I think, yeah, that's probably right, you know. That they, they could have gotten, you know, really sick and nauseated because of fear. But they weren't. And it was almost immediate, uh, according to the description, that when when the boy bent down into that mist, he experienced that sensation. The dog as well. Right. You know, the the, the dog wasn't, a, you know, the dog was afraid, you know, because he ran off. That's how afraid, you know, a dog, when it's afraid, right. that's how it acts. Um, you know, but the Sanderson interview said the dog got sick, and the dog eventually died from this. Right, you know, vomited so, and died. Yeah, you know, it, it. I don't know. I mean, it, it it makes sense. It's logical. I just don't think that explanation fits what
1: happened. Right. I can see the nausea and the vomiting from being scared, but not the um the lemon boy's throat issue that he had the, for two weeks after I know the burning eyes, none of that to me says fear yeah. you know, that says poisoning or, you know, you, I mean, we've all, maybe we all have, but if you, if you get too close to like bleach, you open a, a yeah. thing of bleach and it kind of makes your eyes burn, mm-hmm. makes your throat and nose burn. That like a real mild case of kind of what they're describing. Yeah, you know, you inhaled something that caused yeah. issues.
2: Or, or when you when you walk into the bathroom after Adam's been there,
1: you know, well, <laughs> duh. I mean, I give you a warning. I have a light uh, that I flip on. It's like there's, a red that's why there's light.
2: Gladed there, man. I'm d-
1: <laughs> that just smells like somebody pooped in a field nah, of flowers.
2: I'm just, I'm just, I'm just giving Adam a bunch of, you know. I can't say what I'm giving him. But yeah, but I'm, I'm doing it.
1: I'll just edit all this out. <laughs> no, I won't. No,
2: he won't. Um, So, so, yeah. So that, that's the idea of how they explain the actual UFO. Now let's talk about the, the monster. Let's talk about the, the creature that, uh, that, that they saw when they went up there. Um, The description of the monster, we've talked about this at length, the description of the monster provided by the boys and Miss May was that of a human-like figure with round, glowing eyes, standing about 10 to 12 feet tall, with or without arms, but definitely hands with large, sharp claws. The creature seemed to bob up and down and even glided toward them, making a hissing scream, as we said, sounded like sizzling bacon, along with a thumping noise. This has been attributed to none other than our good friend, the barn owl. Oh, you this, stupid. This, <laughs> <just>. <laughs> uh, this gets Adam's goat every oh, time. My God. This, this
1: owl alien stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, I here's the problem. Okay. Like <laughs> we talked before, you live, Here in, we go. you live in an area for how long? Right? You live yeah. in an area for, okay, you're in the country, no less. Right. And, And you've lived there for you're 40 years old, so you've lived there for 40 years. You're going to tell me that some 40-year-old woman up in the hills is not going to know what a barn owl looks like, Even even if she's scared. And in the dark. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you know this woman has seen barn owls in her life. She's seen a barn owl sitting on a branch. She's seen a barn owl in the daytime. She's seen a barn owl at night. She's seen it when it's raining. She's seen it in the fog. She knows what a stupid barn owl <laughs> looks like. It's not a barn owl. And most likely these boys did too. I'm sure. You know,
2: and, and look, I'm a city boy. i I'm born and raised in Nashville. I grew up 10 minutes from downtown Nashville. I have seen an owl. I have seen several. And I've you had, could probably pick it out sitting on a bench. i had one in my backyard, and I live in the city. Right. So, I mean, you know, I know what one looks like. And when I was a kid, I was in school. We had this guy that would come and do exotic animal shows. He had the biggest owl I've ever seen, live or in a picture.
1: And I bet you went, "Oh, that's an alien."
2: Yeah, it w- wasn't even close. No, wasn't even close to being the size that that they're describing
1: there is no twelve. Even foot if it was owl. sitting
2: on a branch. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, even if it was elevated to where if all you saw was the face of this owl, that that's what you would believe that you would you would mistake it for a creature with a head and a body if yeah. it was sitting on a branch. And I mean it, it it would have to be pitch black dark for you to and if it was pitch black dark you know, owls eyes do not light up. Right. They reflect light. Right. So if they were reflecting enough to appear that they were glowing, there had to be enough light coming from somewhere that I think at least one of them would go,
1: Hey, that could be an owl. Eugene Lemon had a flashlight and he put it on the creature.
2: Yeah. Even, and you're gonna even tell temporarily
1: me, because he did drop it. But yeah, I mean you're gonna long tell me enough, that he doesn't know what an owl looks like in the beam of a <laughs> flashlight. How stupid are you saying these these poor country folk yeah. are, yeah, you know, I take a little bit of offense to that, yeah, because you know I got some poor country folk in my family, and you're going to tell me <laughs> that poor country folk don't know what an owl right. is, right, I'm sorry, but you got to pick another explanation for that mr. scientist, yeah
2: <laughs> so well let's let's play devil's advocate for those who discredit the story explain that a barn owl with its large round eyes sitting on a tree limb, could be mistaken for a creature 10 to 12 feet tall in stature. Mm-hmm. As for the hissing screams, the barn owl does make a similar noise when startled, and the thumping would have been the sound of the flapping wings, and the bobbing up and down, and the, or the gliding toward them, um, could also have been you know, the owl moving, flying toward them, the fact that they can't describe arms, but they could describe hands with claws would be, you know, the feet with talons out front. If you've ever seen a picture of a bird of prey going after, you know, a, a mouse or a groundhog or whatever, you know, it, it does extend its feet forward, you know, where if you if you can imagine in your mind's eye, you know, an owl coming at you with its claws raised. You wouldn't see arms, but you would see what appear what would appear to be hands with claws now again i'm I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't buy this at all um but you know I'm telling you what these people that were you know debunkers of the time you know were really saying that this this most likely was um you know barn owls are common on farmland and are not typically scared by humans because they're around all the time. Um, but a female owl protecting her nest would most likely have stood her ground, hoping the intruders wouldn't notice her, only leaving her young if she was threatened. So there's the idea that that the creature was was a barna. And, I, and I'll be honest. This is the only real theory of what it was besides an alien that was out there. It's pretty much that everybody has, you know, that discredits the story has just said, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah.
1: Well, and 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 I know I'm going to talk to you as if this is your explanation for it because you're you're playing devil's advocate. Here's a few things to debunk the debunking. What happened when the owl is coming at you? So you you assume that the talons are arms. Where do the wings go? Why are there no uh, uh, reports from any of these witnesses that oh it had wings flapping out of the side of its head? You don't hear any of that. So you're not going to assume that it's an owl, but then just not see the wings, the big old wings that owls have coming at you. Where are the reports of owls having spade-shaped cowls behind their head? Yeah. I mean, I've never seen an owl, barn or any other kind, that has a a spade-shaped cowl like it's wearing a Dracula cape. Yeah. You know, also... To say that a mother owl would stand her ground if it had a nest and would attack a human, at like only when necessary, is September twelfth, owl breeding season. I don't know for a fact, but you got to you got to take it, that into account. I is did, that the time?
2: I did read into that, and it it would have been late in the year, but not impossible.
1: Okay, so it it technically maybe could yeah, have it would it would have been she it, got a late start.
2: It was more improbable, but but not impossible, right? So so that's that's the the theory of what the monster was. Um,
1: yeah, you know, saying I, that I, everybody's I mean, I, I stupid and thinks it's a freaking owl.
2: You know, form your own opinion. It's it, an it, owl
1: full of swamp gas.
2: Yeah, I mean, if they had said this thing had horns, you know, maybe the the round white face that that barn owls will have. Um, again, I I I just I don't I don't see that this is a a really good explanation. And 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 Adam and I we bash this owl theory because it's not the only time that this owl theory comes up. It comes up often if you're into ufology and you 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 research some of these sightings, you're gonna see this over and over and over again. Um, You know, another incident that's much closer to where Adam and I live was the Kelly Hopkinsville incident, Um, you know, where a family was, was attacked by what they felt like were alien beings. And, you know, this happened for a a fairly long period of Mm -hmm. time. And, and that was what they were, the owls. And I'm like, I've never seen a flock of owls. Right. Certainly not a flock that's attacking a house with people inside.
1: Yeah. And again, I've, they were country folk who yeah. lived out in the country. Yeah. And you're going to tell me that country folk don't know an owl? I'm not yeah. buying it.
2: You know, I'm like, if if you know if you're coming down from Washington, you know, or or if you're you know the big city investigator especially in in 1952 you might have a tendency to to look down your nose at these you know sure rural country people you know you you may look at them as is you know uneducated or even ignorant but you'd be wrong because they they may not know as much that's in a book as you do but i guarantee you they know as much about the land that they live on as anybody right You know, especially the wildlife that's around there. I mean, we've we've discussed any of those city folk, you know, that's why hunters make, you know, really good eyewitnesses because they know what's around there. They know what to be aware of. They know what not to be afraid of. I guarantee you, country folk are not afraid of an owl. You know, you know, so maybe a 12 foot owl.
1: Yeah, if it was a 12 foot (laughs) owl, anybody would be afraid of that.
2: Yeah, that'd that'd scare me to death. I, I don't. I don't buy it.
1: That'd be a damn big alien owl, is what that would be. So
2: there's there's one other idea that uh, that I came across digging deep, deep, deep down the rabbit hole that was really, really interesting. Um, and and this was an article written uh, for Mysterious Universe back in 2011 by Nick Redfern, who is uh, who, who's really an authority on on a lot of these UFO sightings. He's written tons of articles and books. Um, you know, brace
1: yourselves for this one though. Yeah. This this is Just hold on <laughs> to your hats and your seat and everything.
2: <laughs> what what I found is I was like, oh yeah, this is this is a nugget I gotta share. So Nick Nick Redfern discusses a 1950 report from the United States Air Force written by Gene M. Hungerford called The Exploitation of Superstitions for Purposes of Psychological Warfare. In the report, Hungerford references a book entitled Magic, Top Secret, written by Jasper Maskelyne. In his book, Maskelyne describes a trick that the British Army played on unsuspecting Italian villagers during World War II. Hungerford quotes the book in her report as follows. Our men were able to use illusions of an amusing nature in the Italian mountains, especially when operating in small groups as advanced patrols scouting out the way for our general moves forward. In one area, in particular, they used a device which was a little more than a gigantic scarecrow, about 12 feet high, And able to stagger forward under its own power and emit frightful flashes and bangs. This thing scared several Italian Sicilian villages, appearing in the dawn, thumping its deafening way down their streets with a great electric blue sparks jumping from it. And the inhabitants, who were mostly illiterate peasants, simply took to their heels for the next village, swearing that the devil was marching ahead of the invading English. Hungerford's report was released in 1950, two years before the Flatwoods incident, and it was a report for the United States Air Force. Hmm. Is it possible that the U.S. Air Force performed a similar hoax on residents of a small, rural West Virginia town town simply to watch and document their reactions. (laughs) Hmm. That's something that'll make you think. You gotta think. I mean, you know, number one, it's creative. I mean, you know, everybody, you know, when you think about war, you don't think about somebody doing something like this. Right. Um, But, you know, World War II has some amazing stories at what these Arby's did to try to get a leg up. Right. You know, to find out what the enemy's next move was going to be or or to be able to catch him by surprise. I mean, I read this and I was shocked. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Right. Um, But th- but then you get to thinking, you know, this report went to the U.S. Air Force. I mean, really, who's to say? Who is one of the first ones to investigate that? They're not going to own up to it. I could guarantee you that. No, (laughs) You know, but to think, hmm, well, maybe we, I don't know. Let's see if, let's see what happens if we, if we build this thing you know, we're talking about British army in Italy, Mm -hmm. they're putting this thing together with what they have on hand. You know, they certainly didn't travel with this thing. Right. Um, but they put it together and this thing moved under its own power. So when you take a, a military budget, even a 1952 military budget and the scientists that they would have had and, you know, they could have probably put together something quite a bit more sophisticated.
1: Sure. And then the Air Force are the ones that send people out there. They're the first ones to send people out. Right.
2: There. Right. And, and they and did. They, they took a, a significant interest in what was going on.
1: Right. And then they cordoned off the area to not yeah. let anybody else in. Yeah, <laughs> And I mean, you know, it, it's highly possible. We yeah. got to
2: get rid of this weird scarecrow thing yep. before somebody so finds it.
1: So it off and we get a team to drag it out and hop it on a truck and get it out of that holler. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, and am I a hundred percent convinced by that? No. No, but it's but fun. It's fun. And it really makes you think.
2: It makes you, you know. wonder.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you know
2: nowadays we've we've learned that during this period of time the the u.s government did some crazy things
1: really silly di- stuff. directly
2: to u.s citizens right so you know when, when you consider that the government actually gave u.s citizens lsd without their knowledge mm-hmm. this doesn't really sound all that far-fetched i i just don't know i think I don't believe in coincidence, coincidences necessarily but I I just I just don't know even though this report came out only 2 years before this incident I, I it just sounds it just sounds too conspiracy theory and 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 honestly you know Nick Redfern is is not he's not saying this is what happened he's writing this article going hey listen to this You know, he he's doing essentially what we're doing. He's like, hey, I'm going to share this information because, man, this is a cool story. Right. And and it is. But it's just it just goes to show that there are there are so many ideas about what actually happened, you know, in Flatwoods in 1952 on that night when, you know, the local people believed that there was an actual UFO landing. And an encounter with an alien being.
1: Right. Now, we ask the question, after hearing all of this, what do you think it is? Now, don't tell me it's an owl, because if you yeah. tell me it's an owl, I'm going to find a way to throw stuff at Look, you. Look,
2: now, we promise we don't make fun of anybody on this show, but if you if you tell us it was an owl, we're going to make fun of you.
1: No, I won't make fun of you. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to smack you on the hand and tell you no. We're going to bring an owl to your house. (laughs) And release it and go, it's an alien. No, but seriously. We're going to paint it green. We're going to put a dress on it. Yeah. Send it your way. Now, uh, seriously, what, what do you guys think it is? Do you think it was a legitimate UFO sighting and... An encounter. Do you think it was a test by the U.S. Air Force on American citizens with a new technology that they were testing out?
2: Yeah. Or do you think it was just fear? Right. It was, we saw something. We thought it was this. It didn't look like that. It looked like something else. We, and we were so frightened.
1: This is what we believe we We saw. got ourselves worked up. And here's the story.
2: Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I've said before, people can, you can get yourself so worked up by imagining things in your mind that you honestly believe that this is what you saw and that this is what happened. But I'm not 100% convinced with the research that Adam and I did that that's what happened um, to Kathleen May and those boys that night.
1: No. No. You know, were they scared? Yes. But I think they were scared because of something they saw. They weren't scared and then saw something in their own minds. Yeah. yeah. But like we said, let us know what you think. Graveyard Tales Podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on our website, Facebook or Twitter. And I think that wraps it up for That's us. That's a wrap. So, guys, we will talk to you all next week.